Right, so last time we met, we talked about the best songs of 2021. Yep. And we also, at the end of that, talked about doing another one of these podcasts, chats, whatever you want to call them, about, I think the original idea was about songs that were messed up by TV commercials. Yes, I'd forgotten about that, absolutely. But I decided, or we decided, that that wasn't very positive. So, in fact, we do a collection of songs each that we feel are our most listened to songs. I hasten to quickly add in that there is no data involved in this. This is very much from the heart, and it's like a songs you keep coming back to list or something of that nature. So, yeah, it's my most played songs. It's your most played songs. It's the ones I think I've played the most. I find this really interesting because one of these is from last year. So it quite clearly cannot be one of my most played songs. I've probably played Spandau Ballet's True more than this, which pains me to say that, but it's probably true. Funny how it seems. Um, But I really like the idea of... They're almost like emotional crutches that I've gone back to. They remind me of places and times. And I go to them for a shoulder to cry on sometimes, actually. And I really like where we are. We're in a, in, in a recording studio. I feel like smashy and nicey. Let's rock. Let's go for Mark and Lard <laughs> instead of smashy and nicey. But yes, this is taking our uh, rudimentary steps into uh, creating our own radio show to a new level, isn't it? Because we're actually in a studio. Bloody love it. Who's going to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? Okay, I don't know what order to go in. Um, I've gone chronologically. Oh, you see, I just haven't. I've just Fine. gone... Well, you don't have to. But I'm going to start with a biggie. In our car playlist for the kids, we've got a car playlist of all the songs that we like. And clearly, with four children, I'm outnumbered. And my wife tends to have... She's got good taste in music, but she often likes a lot of the kids' music as well. So in order to redress the balance, I tend to put long songs on. I'll put Sympathy for the Devil on, and I'll always put Stone Roses Falls Gold 953, which was the 9 minutes 53 version. And the reason it's on there, it's not just to irritate the kids, um, but it's partly on there for that. It's on there because this time, is about 1990, I think, when this came out. And it's just that moment in time when dancing and nightclubs and being out, but not being bothered by what you look like. It's an interesting distinction, that is was beginning to happen and there's no way I can not dance when this song comes on and when I put it on in the car and my headphones I'm channeling a little bit of that pre-marriage university flares but not bags like flared from the knee down not flared from the hip down fucking can't be doing with any of that shit and there's something utterly magical about it I'm guessing this is the only one that overlaps between you and I It definitely does overlap. Yeah, I think some other artists might overlap. But yes, that song is also mine. And I'll have to tell you my connection to it in a bit. I'm going to play it very briefly. It's a strong start. Let's go for it. And the drop, it's not a drop. Clearly, it's not a drop. But when the percussion stops and the guitar comes in, oh, heavens to Betsy.
I'll stop it there because it's interesting. The more I think about this song, the more the video is important. And baggy. Yeah. Just baggy as a thing. It's got a proper slack beat. The, the Stone Roses, the best part of the Stone Roses was never Brown and Squire. It was always Manny and Rennie. It's the percussion part of the Stone Roses, the bass and the drums that lifted them above anybody else, in my humble opinion. And the video of this, where they're slow, I don't know which Spanish or wherever they are, they're on like a sandy dunes and, and they're just walking it slow-mo. They use the same video for numerous of their songs, to be honest. But there's just something about it. The pack on my back is aching. The straps seem to cut me like a knife. But lyrically, it's not lifting me. It's a breakbeat. For me, that's always been... I love breakbeats. I love them. And the breakbeat in that song and the general, you know, baggy as a term probably got ripped off a bit and messed about with, but that relaxed feeling of that beat, slow and low, funky, dancey but not too dancey, cool. I came to them a bit later... I mean, that song always surprises me that it was like came out in 89, that yeah. album. And you you sort of feel like it's a solid mid-90s Britpop blah, but it's not. It's, it was the precursor to yeah, all that. And I probably got into them a bit later because... Well, you're younger. Yeah, but also because I was in the South, not the North. Yeah. And I went to the North sort of mid-90s. I obviously knew about them before then, but going to like Manchester nights and stuff like that where obviously that would be played got me into them but that song is head and shoulders above the rest of theirs for me yeah it's It's a personal thing obviously I agree with that and it's interesting they come in three flavors for me the album I first listened to in 89 and loved it and and it's like the birds right it's got that jingle jangle birdsy and feel to it and I absolutely love it and then when this came out which wasn't on the album it was the single after the album Double A side it was. The other side is what the world is waiting for. Sounded like it came off the album. This didn't. This sounded different. And I wasn't certain about it. And it sounded lazily hedonistic. And I really, really like that about it. Then their third flavour was when Squire took over, essentially. And the guitar-driven noise of The Second Coming, which I really like. And the album's good. Good album. Ten Story Love Song is utterly brilliant. Break into heaven. Oh. That's a belter of a tune. If we like long songs, which you and I both do, that's a that's a, that's a good 12-minute version. Is. But I think Mersey Paradise, it, yeah, I think Mersey Paradise is probably my favourite Stone Roses song. But this is the song of the Stone Roses that I play the most, and it is Permaron. Why do you like it? I like it for some of those reasons that I was talking about. It speaks a bit more mid-90s to me. You know, it came out when I was early teens but I probably discovered it late teens but it is being at university in Leeds being up there involved in that music scene or certainly listening to that music scene and that's what it speaks to me of I love the Stone Roses I love that first album as you said second album's great too I have a slight sadness about them that I feel like we had to put up with Britpop because they didn't quite carry on and maybe have the longevity that they could have. Not that I'm putting Oasis and Blur all at their doors, and obviously I love those two bands as well, but they remind me of that time of, you know, end of my teenage years, getting out of 
small villages in the southeast of England and ending up in the bright lights of Leeds and having a jolly fun time for those four years that I was up there. But, you know, eye-opening, awakening, growing up, those sorts of things, that's what it speaks to me. I get that completely. I was cross with them when they stopped. And there's a great apocryphal story of um, Ian Brown, post Stone Roses, wandering around Manchester. And this kid, like seven or eight-year-old kid, came up to him and went, are you Ian Brown? And Brown went, yeah. And he went, well, do something then. And Brown was like, shit. And then he went away and, you know, not gifted with the best voice in the world, but it doesn't matter. He's got something about him. He went away and reignited his career, whereas Squire went on with seahorses and automatically continued a voice. And interestingly, it did lead into Britpop, but it kind of didn't, right? It, it, you know, it led into grunge. Britpop only started because, you know, Blur went to America and found themselves irrelevant, came back and Nirvana were you know, rightly tearing it up. And there's something about... it's interesting. I remember listening to Kasabian for the first time and thinking, oh, hello, and Razorlight, actually, early Razorlight, thinking this sounds like the stepson and daughter of the Stone Roses. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And you can follow that. Right, next one. I am going to do things a slightly different way to you. I'm going to start at the beginning. So I am glad to say that growing up, my sort of musical education was laid down in a very firm foundation of soul, blues, rock, and not forgetting disco. Mm. So my mum had a yellow mini traveller, you know, the ones with the... Wood panel. Wood panel on the side, yep. And in that mini traveller, we had three tapes. Best of Boney M, ABBA, wouldn't have been gold back then, but it was an ABBA album, and an Atlantic Soul album, which had all sorts, you know, Sam and Dave... Yeah. Uh, Marvin Gaye, Benny King, all of that good stuff on there. And it also had this song, which I got into before it was used in the Jeans advert. And that is Peace of My Heart by Irma Franklin. So there we are. That is the soulful voice of Emma Franklin. It's beautiful. It's timeless. Slightly overshadowed in the grand scheme of things by her younger sister, perhaps. Yeah. But um, that song is... I just... 
obviously I heard it when I was quite young and knew it. And then when it was featured on aforementioned advert, I just went through a period of playing it over and over again. And now, whenever I come back to it, which is still pretty regular, it's just one of those songs. Not every song on the list does this, but it's one of the songs that gives me goosebumps. Do you play it when you're sad or do you play it when you're happy? Do you play it when you're lonely or do you play it when you're rejoicing? I don't know. That's a very good question. I Probably sad mm. or just not necessarily sad, but um, reflective. Maudlin or... Yeah, that's interesting. It's not sadness or maudlin. I find a lot with what I listen to, sometimes I listen to a lot of different genres and a lot of different stuff because I like discovering new music. I like rediscovering old music. I like finding things that are new to me, but you know, might have been around for a while. But sometimes when there's too much noise going on in your head, it's not exactly what I mean, but it's close to. I get that. That's one of the songs that I always go back to. It's oh. that soulful, beautiful voice. Lyrics are fantastic. Meaning in the song. There's all sorts of stuff for that in there to sort of dive into. I love it. I love it. And, and it's a great thing to think about why and where how you're feeling when you choose these songs. I've just put mine in random order, which is probably foolish of me. This next one of mine is a song called Little Palaces by Elvis Costello. And it's when I'm feeling ever so slightly sorry for myself that I play this. This album came out, I'm guessing, I can't remember, but I'm guessing it came out in about 84, something like that. And I played it in a Walkman non-stop on a rugby tour of Romania where I wasn't having the best of time. Chrome, metal, Sony Walkman, um, or yellow, plastic one? Oh, no, mine was an Iowa one, actually. It's a good of question. So I've said, I've said Walkman, but I actually meant Iowa. And Iowa um, existed. And it's tightly designed, actually. It's a nice bit of kit, shit earphones. Batteries didn't last very long. Had a rewinder from Tandy that you clipped onto the cassette to manually rewind it so you didn't waste your batteries rewinding it. Why don't you just use a pencil? Um... Spinning it round for the camera, for the audio, <laughs> spinning it round. Um, I don't know. I, I like this. <laughs> Geared rewinder. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great song. It's a beautiful song. It's interesting. Costello doesn't like this album, not because he doesn't like the content, but he fell out with his record label at about this time, and they cut three or four tracks off it that he wanted on it. There's some great songs on there. Glitter Gorch, The Big Light, it's a Brilliant Mistake. It's one of my favourite albums, full stop. But this is the standout song. No one, my wife can't understand why. I, I, I really like it. And it's, and I think there is something around the, I think it is about feeling quite sympathetic for myself about it. I'll play it. In Chocolate Town, all the trains are painted brown. And the silver paper of the rapper There's a dapper little man And he wears a wax moustache That he twists with nicotine fingers As he drops his cigarette ash And someone comes and sweeps it up And then he doffs his cap And there's a rat in someone's bedroom And there's shit in someone's trap and they'll soon be pulling down the little palaces And the doors swing back and forward From the past into the present And the bedside crucifixion Turns from wood to phosphorescent And they move in problem families From the south up to the north Mother's crying over some soft soap opera divorce And you say you didn't do it 
Lyrically, I really enjoy it. There's a line in there, the doors swing back and forward from the past into the present and the bedside crucifixion turns from wood to phosphorescent. I mean, Costello, Declan McManus, is lyrically rich and dense. He gets a lot of words in. But it's a storytelling element as well, isn't it? I mean, yes, you could list them. There's lots of them. But you could put him in that list with, you know, Paul Weller from over here, Bruce Springsteen from over there, you know, those kind of who who tell a story that if you're from that space or that area, you can just relate to it and you can see it. You can walk into the shop that he's singing about almost. There's yeah. probably one in your town, my town, everybody's town. That lyrical storytelling piece, you know, love artists like that, love people that transport you away with what they're talking about because sometimes you want to be transported away but it's a way to the familiar as yeah. well it's really it's really interesting it's a beautiful album and i like listening to it with my headphones on it's one of those i like to feel the claustrophobia of the album and it reminds me of that time where we got mullered we got out of the romanian we played the romanian first team we were like a county team we, we, we were under 18 and they were the national team we got absolutely marmalized brutal and it was the moment when I fell out of love with rugby, not because I didn't like the sport, I do, but actually I didn't like everything that came with it. It was a really interesting flip for me. So when I feel maudlin, actually, that's the right word for me. I go and play that. So we're still in the yellow mini traveller. Another song off that Atlantic Soul album, although I would argue that this verges on disco. This is 25 Miles by Edwin Starr. song does is it transports me instantly back to Friday nights when I was at university in Leeds in the town and country club there was a night with guest DJ Brutus Gold called the love train and the most amazing thing thinking about that now is that that was basically 1100 people ish who had all specifically got dressed up into 
70s gear, you know, garnered from local charity shops around Leeds, or there might even have been a couple of specific 70s fashion shops down by the Corn Exchange, if I remember. And just perfectly normal, just to go out on a Friday night dressed in 70s gear, drop into one of the bars close by that would sell you three shots of vodka and a mixer for £1.25, and go and dance to 70s music all night. And that was one of my you know, favourites. That was middle of the dance floor, purple corduroy suit with flares, giving it the large. I love it. But there's also that mild overlap with Northern Soul. Yeah, of course. Which is very different dress. Yeah. And a very different style of dancing. But yeah, you know, you can't beat nights like that. And I, I mean, I was living in Leeds about the same time as you were there. I was okay. in Bradford yeah. when you were in Leeds. And I remember far. that explosion. And a good friend of mine, Dom, ran a night called M&M's, which was essentially 70s funk. A little bit of disco, a little bit of 80s funk as well. Music that I wouldn't have necessarily played in my indie club, but I actually had a great time dancing too. I've got a little bit of something similar to that later, actually. So for my next one, at about 16, 17, I discovered Billie Holiday, more of which in a minute. And then that led me into Nina Simone and this song, Feeling Good. This is my, it's spring, the sun's coming up, life's going to be okay, everything's getting better. So I'm not feeling down anymore. I'm post-down, pre-up. And Muse, who were not really on my list of bands I like hugely, did a really good cover of this song, actually. I would rate that. I think everyone knows what it sounds like, but I'll pop it on anyway. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good Fish in the sea You know how I feel River running free You know how I feel Blossom on the tree You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day and it's that contradiction that juxtaposition of her crystal clear lyric her soulful lyric and then the big band coming in and i i, I love it i utterly i've got no bad words for that song it's timeless as well I mean, when was that recorded? Fucking no idea. No, but like... Do you want me to tell you? I can probably I reckon, Google that. I reckon it's going to be, well, definitely early 60s. Yeah. Possibly late 50s, right? Let me have a look. And I would say that it's a very timeless song in that you can listen to it now and... 1964. Okay. Published, recorded in 1965. And it's from the album Put a Spell on You, which is a great album, actually. Yeah. Like I say timeless it's beautiful yep it's beautiful i am gonna move on a little jump up the timeline a bit 
rock and roll played a big part in my musical upbringing, particularly the sort of more bluesier rock. Yeah. So, yes, obviously, there were a couple of bands knocking around at that time, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, who we're all very familiar with. But the king in our house, or certainly in my father's eyes, was Eric Clapton. And this song, particularly this version of this song, got a lot of airplay at the time growing up, and still for me gets a lot of airplay now because, in my opinion, this is the definitive live rock and roll song. That's Crossroads by Cream. And the reason it's definitive, or it's it's part of a small group of very high-quality live rock and roll songs, is it fits all the necessary criteria. The first one being, it has two guitar solos in it. Why would you waste a live opportunity and only have one guitar solo? When <laughs> you've, got, the when you've got Eric Clapton on guitar and you're playing a, you know, a live concert, as they were, three exceptionally talented musicians at the height of their powers when rock and roll was at the height of its powers as a cultural phenomenon as a music as an art form we can argue about that for days but you know rock and roll was very much alive and it was the driving force behind culture pop culture etc at that time and that song makes you drive faster (laughs) you play it in the car a lot Uh, it's an absolute belter for me. It's an interesting song, you know. I'd actually go as far as to say I would call that rock rather than rock and roll. That's because rock and roll, in my mind, is anything between 1953 and 1959. And it misses piano. So to my mind, rock and roll needs that little Richard or that Jerry Lee Lewis piano which is a much misunderstood instrument when it comes to rock and roll, but definitely rock. But that doesn't take anything away from that track. It's absolutely, I'm going to say perfect. Now, growing up, I would not have tolerated that anywhere near my stylus. It would have just been like old man music. But I would have tolerated rock and roll. I would have tolerated. It's it's really interesting, this exercise, Pete, because I'm now regretting not putting any T-Rex on, which is rock and roll regurgitated for a sparkly generation and I would have put probably 
little Richard on as well. So I'm re- I think we needed 15, not 10 or 13. We're not changing the rules now. No, we're not changing okay? the rules now. We're less than halfway through. I love not, it. And we're not changing the rules. I love it. And I'm going to leap to, I think this was 80s, but it sounds 70s. So this is um, the Jackson sisters, no relation. And it's I Believe in Miracles. And I didn't hear this until I was at university in 88. But the first time I heard it, I couldn't stop dancing. I just couldn't stop dancing. It's an absolute belter and it's got a great intro to it. I think they were a one-hit wonder. I don't think they had any more hits than this, but I'd die happy if I'd recorded this. dancing in my seat right when i was djing if i couldn't get anyone up whether that be a 50th birthday party for a mate's dad or whether that be in my indie club in in the cellar in a brothel in bradford that song would do it it didn't matter who was there that song would get them up yeah absolute tune again it would feature highly on the 70s disco playlist even though it might not necessarily be from that decade i'm going to google that because i i, I want to say it's 80s but it sounds like 70s but while you're doing the next one, let me check that. Okay, so my next one is a, definitely a bit of a departure from the one you just played. But beforehand, we were talking about sort of, I don't know, if you like, definitive... If we're going to jump into genre chat and we talk about definitive songs or genre-defining songs, then this next one is definitely that for me. And it is No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley and the Wailers.
So not only is that, I would say, a genre-defining song, that is also the best version of that song. Obviously, it's studio-recorded, but that's the live version recorded at the Lyceum Theatre in 1975, which was the year I was born. Uh, So, no, I wasn't there, obviously. I think way before I discovered all the other amazing, wonderful, rich, different types of reggae music that I have listened to over most of my life, that was probably my entry point or the first time that I heard a reggae song and went, what is that? Because there's so much in it there's so much going on it's live there's a big band there's voices there's message in the music there's message in the lyrics there's so much going on in there and it's such a wonderful song and i can't say much more about it than that it's beautiful and that album that 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 live album is you know live albums on the whole i avoid uh bob dylan live the Khan, i really like and that live album i really like that song is Oh, it's poetry, right? Marley was an utter genius. Utter genius. The only thing I find slightly sad about some of Marley's songs is the fact that some of the struggle and some of the things that he's talking about recording in the early to mid-70s are still the same struggles that we're having today. Uh We still talk about the same things. And that makes me a little sad that in some areas, I mean, yes, we've moved on in lots of areas in lots of places, and that's great. But some of the discussions about, you know, inequality and poverty and things like that, it's still the same discussion today, and it's a little sad. Nothing's changed. Updates, Jackson Sisters, 1973. Boom. So, so you fits, were right. I'm out by 13 years. It fits perfectly into the uh, 70s disco playlist. Which, which makes much more sense... And I can't think why I was confused, but what a tune. Right, next on my list, this is a car song. Look, I'm very fond of Blur, and I was lucky enough to be closer to them at the beginning of their career than most people. This was pre-Britpop, end of Baggy. Their first album is very baggy. But this is a song from later. This is a a song called Tender, and I really like it. It's got a, a sadness to it. It's got a pathos. It's not sadness. It's got a pathos to it, and it documents, I think, a very difficult time for Damon. That aside, this is the song we sing in the car together, and I fight. I mean, clearly I take Damon's role here rather than Graham's role. But it's a song that we will sing. When my kids think of me, I know they think of this song, so we play it all the time. Tender is the touch of someone that you 
Lyrically, I like it. It's dark. It's also about love, but not just the love for and of a person, the love for a substance. And I just like the fact that I sing it with my kids. And that feels weird. There's a juxtaposition there of a joyous celebratory occasion and a song that's got a real edge to it. But it, I love it. It's, it's, it's one of our favourite songs in the car. I think it's a good one that sums up Blur as well, their ability to be able to write a punchy, catchy pop song that everybody loves, but also to be able to write songs and lyrics and tunes that actually have a lot more to them and a bit more going on and not necessarily everybody likes. I agree with that. And I think if you wrote Blur off as a Britpop band, which is really easy to do, Cockney, Geezer, White, mate, that's great, right? They were definitely that. They were also baggy. They were also about love. And they were, you know, Damon is, whether you like him or not, is an amazing lyricist. And Graham actually is a much bigger part of Blur than people thought. When he released Happiness in magazines, the first, I think that's his first album, I listened to it and went, oh, right, yeah, okay, that's it. Cracking track, good band and good times. I'm going to change it up a little bit, actually, as it goes. From the, you know, as we were saying, the tenderness of Blur, I'm going to play uh, something completely different. Funnily enough, I find that song utterly joyful. And the fact that we're both sitting here doing air guitar and killing ourselves laughing (laughs) is exactly what that song is all about to me. So I tend to think, I don't tend to think, I do think that ACDC are the greatest rock band in the world ever. We can have discussions about Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin and The Who, and we can try, if you want to, in vain to fit the Beatles in there but anyway we can have all of those conversations the major thing about ACDC for me personally is that me and my brother discovered them together at about the same time in the late teens it was one of those sort of discoveries of a of a band where you sort of you listen to them a bit and then you go oh dad have you heard this and he's like what do you mean have I heard that <laughs> and it was great because then it's sort of you know you then have a shared experience 
that obviously got played a lot in the back of various different cars with me and my dad and my brother essentially headbanging and my mum just sort of shaking her head at us. And I was probably about 16 or 17 by that stage. Also, the other thing about that song that firmly puts it into this most played list is that back a few years ago when you were allowed to have a song as your ringtone on your phone, that was my ringtone for a very long time. But I know that's uncool and we're not allowed to do that anymore. I love it. I think you can do it. I think, <laughs> fuck it, you can do it. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I agree with you. Beatles are not rock, a rock band. Stones nearly. That and Sabbath. Of course. Unbelievable. And I'm going to be honest, back when I was growing up, it was so uncool to acknowledge that you were into any of that, and certainly the Maiden, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like the entry-level music for people who had denim jackets. I really bloody love it now, and I'm bitterly regretful that I didn't love it then. It's a brilliant song, and it's done. And you're right. I, I looked at you. You looked at me. We both waited till the little guitar flourish, and then we both did it. I'm 53, yep. Pete. You're nearly 50. 47, I'm guessing. <laughs> 47? 46, yeah. 46. Yeah. Frankly, we both suddenly behave like 13-year-old kids. So my son, who's nine, got an ACDC T-shirt for Christmas from his godfather. And when he put it on, he stood in the middle of the kitchen and went, da, 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 singing and doing an air guitar thing. And I was like, yeah, that's perfect. You're in. Job done. My my work here is finished. (laughs) Well, I'm going to change it again. I love the fact that my nine is any order. So I'm going to an artist who... I always loved growing up. And then his last album before he died made me love him even more. And the album was called I'm New Here. And the artist is called Gil Scott Heron. And this version of the song is running. But I'm going to give you the remixed and reimagined version that he did with Jamie XX, which is which their album was called We're New Here. And I love this song. And I don't know why. There's some pathos. There's some feeling sorry for myself. But more importantly, there's a realisation that this was my mantra for a long time. I've always ran. And there's a great line in this. I always feel like running. Never away because there is no place. And I think I was running away rather than two. And I love it. And I also love what they did with the song as well. Because I always feel like running. Not away. Because there's no such place. Because if there was, I would have found it by now. Because it's easier to run, easier than staying and finding out you're the only one who didn't run.
And it's a beautiful song in its original form. But what Jamie did, bringing that distorted garble at the beginning and then that fat bass, it just lifts it. The whole album is amazing. New York is Killing Me is one of my all-time favourites. But this is the one that I play the most. It's epic, that album. Because it's got that beautiful thing that you don't find that often where you've got an old and a new artist working together and they just click and all of a sudden you realise they're on exactly the same wavelength, although they are separated by decades in terms of when their music was released. But yeah, that album is absolutely brilliant and I, similar to you, urge anyone who hasn't listened to that album to go out and get it and stick it on repeat. It's genius. Oh, it's me again. Right, so I'm sure that you'll help me out because I've kind of bypassed the 80s, but I'm sure I I know that you're going to have some 80s songs in there, so I kind of leave that to you. In a funny sort of way, yeah, as I was talking about earlier, my musical heritage is sort of, yeah, 60s and 70s, rock, soul, blues, that kind of stuff. And then, as you will see shortly, I then kind of jump forward a bit. This song comes from that time when I was at school but towards the end of school and discovered a new form of music which was hip-hop Ever made by man, I'm going into this mic written by this hand. I'm coming out of this mouth made by this tongue. I tell you now, my man, my name is Young. But so you think that this your destiny to get the best of me? But I suggest to be quiet, but don't even try from the east and west of me. Taking it and never breaking it, or even shaking it, grooving it and always moving it, cause I'm not picking it. Pulling out rhymes like books off the shelf. Born in England, raised a holler, start to go for myself. This is stone cold rhyming, no frills, no bluffs, and it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough. I'm going off, baby, there's no turning back. I'm on your TV, on your album cassette, and a track. And when the show is finally finished, I'll be taking my bow. My name is Young and yo, I got no how. You know what I'm saying? That is Know How by Young MC. Yes, I'm fully aware that that is also the theme from Shaft, you know, for the musical connoisseurs amongst us. But that, again, probably through my brother or with my brother, discovered hip-hop. Now, you can lump in all different types of rap. There's so many different, you know, sub-genres involved in that whole game. But for me, hip-hop was always about fun, block party, dance, getting people on the dance floor, funny, cheerful lyrics. Don't necessarily mean too much, but, you know, bragging and all that good stuff. That's what hip-hop was and or is, and this song kind of encapsulates that for me. And if you ever try to do it at karaoke, it's really, really hard. It's a great song, and it's it's of that time. And I think hip-hop is, I mean... If you go back, it started with Gil Scott Heron in terms of rap, although he would never have called himself a rapper. And then you saw the Sugar Hill Gang emerge and you felt like 
it was kind of like the democratization of music. We had that with punk, like post prog rock, where you needed a bloody you know degree in guitar fingering in order to get into a band. Suddenly, punk, you needed nothing but a garage and a recorder and, and some noise. And what I love about hip hop is it allowed people to create music in their bedrooms. And it is super important. And I was going to put this on later. I had to take out one this morning and replace it with another because I realized that I play this more mm-hmm. and I took out Duran Duran, a reach up for the sunrise. I don't even like Duran Duran, but I really like that song. Yeah. But the song that I play way more than that is We're in Hip Hop Again. Yeah, it flows great. on beautifully from Gil Scott Heron and what you've just played is a song called Rebel Without Pause by Public Enemy. And the whole like mid-80s hip-hop was so good. And Public Enemy, you know, they were rapping about stuff that really, really matters. And this is such a beautiful tune. Brothers and sisters! No children. Brothers and sisters! I don't know what this world is coming to! Yes! The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard drama, where you never been, I'm in. You want styling? You know it's time again. D, the enemy, telling you to hear it. They praise the music, it's time to play the lyrics. Some say no to the album, the show, bum rush the sound. I made a year ago, I guess you know, you guess I'm just a radical. Not on sabbatical, yes, to make it critical. The only part of your body should be part of it too. And the message is brilliant, but musically, it's a really interesting range of samples and breakbeats. When I used to DJ an indie night in this dodgy club in Bradford, I would blend in hip hop with it because it needed to be heard and appreciated in a much by a much broader audience. I'd follow that, I'd follow that with something like Kennedy by The Wedding Present. I, I, it confused the fuck out of people, but I didn't mind. I played it for me. Yeah, I had Public Enemy on the list. And actually, I had to drop them off. But yes, that would be one. And Don't Believe the Hype would be <sighs> another. What tune? And Don't Believe the Hype has some of my favourite hip-hop lyrics in it. But yes, very important in so many ways in terms of a band. Yes, politically. Yes, their lyrics. But also, like you were just saying before, musically, quite simple, but in a good way, in that you could, you know, two turntables and a microphone, yeah. all of that stuff. We can just make music. We can take things that other people have done and cut that up and we can add our own beats and you can beatbox and you can chat or rhyme all of those things make public enemy and also make that genre important exciting yeah, it yeah, felt yeah. scary Funky, as well new different <sighs> fucking loved it right it's me again so yeah this is a good section we're kind of like making a nice midsection of the sort of low head nodding beats type space so i'm going to play a song now which 
The thing I like about this idea that we had about your most played songs is they aren't necessarily the biggest hits that those groups or individuals had. And they might not be the best songs if you looked at it from a critic's perspective. Not that either of us are music critics, but if you looked at it from that perspective, some of the songs that we're playing aren't necessarily the best by those artists. But this song is, for me, the most played by this group, and it comes from an album which you would quite happily describe as seminal. So that is Five Man Army by Massive Attack. Amazing. Off what Blue Lines. I remember listening to that album and that song, but particularly that song for the first time, because I'd always been a bit like, you know, listened to a lot of American hip hop and American rap at that time and always been like, we need someone over here doing this kind of thing. You know, why isn't there a British rap scene? And then that comes along. I mean, yes, it's got rap in it, but it doesn't sound like much else. It didn't sound like NWA. No, it doesn't it sound like didn't stuff sound like over Public there. Enemy. No. And, you know, luckily for them, they had some breakout songs from that album. They, you know, they had some hits, which is always useful if you're a sort of underground band, but, you know, trying to make a living out of making yeah. music, then it's useful to have some hits here and there. But, yeah, that song for me, amazing lyrics, breakbeat again, which, as we've discussed or decided we need, um, fat bass line, really cool voices one of the things i love about rap is the different people's voices not all the time what they're saying just the tone of their voice and mushroom and 3d and tricky who's was still there at that time yeah all just had such great delivery and um you know listening to that in your living room in your student house maybe uh it's very relaxed should we say yeah <laughs> <laughs> it had a vibe to it, didn't it, Pete? It had a vibe. Smoky vibe. A smoky, smoky vibe. vibe. Let's Absolutely. call it that. Let's call it that. But, but it was peculiarly British. And I, I loved it. I really, really loved it. Also, we're getting into, we've touched on this conversation already, but we're also getting into that sort of chat, maybe again about sort of genre defining music. And if we are chucking labels out and trip hop is a thing, then, you know, Massive Attack 
it's difficult to put them in a genre because they stand alone and they changed a lot over the years. Yeah. You know, you listen to protection and things from the far end of their career and you compare it to the early stuff and it's not the same. It's it's equally as good. I love, you know, Angel and Teardrop and things like that, but they, they don't sound like Blue Lines. No, they don't, but I absolutely love protection and I kind of think it, it wouldn't be on my top 10 played, but it'd be definitely on my top 20. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it right down <laughs> rather than up. This is a song originally recorded by Nine Inch Nails and quite clearly a song about drugs, right? Quite clearly. And it was given a workover and a whole new pathos meaning by Johnny Cash. And Rick Rubin. And Rick Rubin. Yeah. Let's not forget him. I absolutely love this version. And now to go back to why I play this song when I'm really sad. I play this song when I want to feel sadder. And sometimes you've got to feel sadder before you can feel better. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all That line, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I use that line a lot in my workshops, actually. But the fact that this is a man at the end of his life, an incredible career, but at the end of his life, it just adds a layer of emotion. I, it gets me crying every Particularly time. Particularly when you know that he has battled addiction, battled difficulties in his life, great sadness, great highs and lows, no doubt. But yeah, the other thing I love about that song, and I and I knew that you were going to put that in there, well, because you told me, but I knew that that one was going in there, is I like complex music. I like things that are, there's a lot gone into making it, multi-layers, all of that kind of, the complexities of music is enjoyable to me. I also like the opposite end of the scale and very simple music, right? And that is iconic voice, Acoustic guitar, amazing lyrics. It's got all of those. But it's got three elements, not 103. And it's very impactful. As you said earlier, there's a few songs that you, you know, stick your big noise-cancelling earphones on, sit on your own and listen to them and just let them wash over you. And for whatever reason, they'll transport you to another place. Yes, okay, sadness potentially, but also... 
the joy of listening to a perfectly crafted piece of music. Beautiful. Oh, it's me. I keep getting carried away with your songs, forgetting about my own. <laughs> right, well, you left hip-hop. I haven't left hip-hop just yet. We're still there, and we need an entry into this list from... I talked about it before. There gets to a point where you, in your, I guess, in your you know, musical life or listening to music where you can go, oh, yeah, that's one nobody showed me or that's one I discovered for myself. This is a band that I probably discovered for myself, but this particular song, or this is from their second or third album, I think, and this song is basically all about riding around the countryside or brings back memories of riding around the countryside in my brother's white Renault 5. Hip-hop punks, Beastie Boys, very, very important band for me. Again, I love them because they started out as one thing. Yeah. Started out as one thing, recognised in the mainstream as something, moved on to something else, and then came back to what they were somewhere else. You know, the constant reinvention. Total reinvention. Yeah, not willing to stand still, not willing, literally not willing to make another album that sounded the same as the one they'd made before. And when you listen, I mean, they're they're early, you know, fight for your right, cringy to a degree, but they kind of had to go through that to realise the error of their ways. Yeah, but also very much of the time. Phenomenally of the time. You know, but then when you listen to Ill Communication and then Intergalactic, Hello Nasty, you know, you, you go, blimey, how yeah. did those guys get here? Yeah, slow and low, straight yeah. to Intergalactic. So Intergalactic is one of my absolute, I don't know why it's not on the list. I can't, I probably forgot it. I love that. The reason it's not on the list is because otherwise the list would be 150 songs well, long for true. both of us. But I'm looking at what's coming up next and thinking <laughs> Intergalactic's better, but it's not as much played. That's the yeah, key. Yeah, that's the key. That's, that's the thing. The and I've got this image of you and your brother in a Renault 5 yep. cruising around like the bad boys that you were. The bad lands of Southeast England. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so mine, I've got three now that are all about me singing along with them. But also, more than that, they are era-defining. And the next one, not my favourite Britpop song at all, I don't think, but it's probably the one that I play the most. And it's the mighty Pulp. And Pulp are bigger than Britpop. They were there before, they were there after. But this anthem... It's common people, isn't it? It is. And I can't, I can't <laughs> be embarrassed about that. I absolutely love it. And if I'm driving tired, which I try not to do, and I want to wake myself up with a bit of a sing-song... This goes on. I might put a bit of Oasis on, actually, but this one definitely goes on first. 
Sets in Martin's college That's where I Go to I She told me that the tap was loaded I said my case on my room Coca-Cola She said fine And then in 30 seconds time She said I wanna live like common people I wanna do whatever common people do Wanna sleep with common people I wanna sleep with common people like you What else could I do? I said, oh, I'll see what I can do I took her to a supermarket I don't know why but I had to start somewhere So it started there I said pretend you got no money And she just laughed and said Are oh, you so funny? I said yeah I can't see anyone else smiling here Are you sure? You wanna live like common people You wanna see whatever common people see Wanna sleep with common people You wanna sleep with Common people like me But she didn't Understand And she just smiled and held my hand And I do all the hand movements with it as I'm driving and my big regret about this song is at my daughter's graduation from St Martin's I got lifted up into one of the performance pieces to do karaoke I can't sing and I chose Heaven 17 Temptation, which is a great song to sing. I was at St. Martin's College. Why didn't I play this song? I love it. Missed opportunities. Totally. Now, lyrically, it's really good. It shows that contradiction between those who have and want to pretend they have not. It's Marie Antoinette playing, you know, Let Them Eat Cake. It's a really great tune and it builds and it lets out an anger and a frustration with the times. But I would say that they... Pulp similarly have that quality as storytellers and, you know, a few of them wrote together, but, you know, predominantly Jarvis, of whatever that particular piece was, they just tell a story with those lyrics and you're instantly transported into your next door neighbour's sister's bedroom or whatever. Wood chip on the wall. (laughs) If you call your dad, you can stop it. Exactly. Your student thing is like, oh, you know, I'll have a gin and tonic in that case. That's right. (laughs) But well, it's interesting, I hadn't realised. I should have chosen Pulp. I didn't. I chose Heaven 17. Both Sheffield bands. Sheffield was such an important town. When the BEF, the British Electric Foundation, emerged and you had Heaven, well, Heaven 17 were part of Human League. And ABC, you had this amazing electronic movement. And you would not have had Pulp had you not have had Heaven 17. And actually, my choice, my toss-up on that day was much closer to the mark than I thought it was to be able to do that in a London quite elitist arts university to bring a bit of gritty chef, I think, was a duty that I had to perform. (laughs) What have you got next? So now I am moving into mid-90s dance floor, what I would call that sort of mid-90s UK explosion of dance music and... When I was at uni, I've already mentioned Leeds, sort of mid to late 90s, there was a club in Leeds called the Pleasure Rooms, 
and it had two nights. Saturday night was for the more dressed up crowd, the more Paul Smith and Loafer crowd, and that was back to basics. And that was, I would say, more of your, like, what's the best way to describe it? Like trend like house, but sort Ta- of... I'd call it towny house. Yeah, but trendy house. Yeah. You know, like trendy house, like Pete Tong house at that time. Yeah. And Friday night was the night that I went to a lot more often, which was called Up Your Bronson. I remember it. And it was basically banging house, chunky house. I guess, again, if we're casting our minds back, it was that sort of, yeah, Judge Jules, Alistair Whitehead... Those sorts of uh, DJs, Jeremy Leahy. Yeah. Jeremy Healy, I mean. Healy from Jeremy Hazy Healy. Fantasia. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy Healy, I mean. He played there a bit. And this tune always makes me think of many banging nights spent in that club. Now, that's Passion by Gat Decor, and there's lots of other more popular, bigger, made-it-into-the-charts-type songs from that era and that time, and, you know, we could list them all off, but that sound is 90s dance floor for me, and, yeah, like I say, takes me right back straight into sweaty, dark, very enjoyable clubs. And I was living in Bradford at that time, and Back to Basics and Brighton Beaches had become huge, absolutely. Yeah, and and Leeds had become this huge party city. And my best song from that era, and actually it was probably number 14 on my list, was Born Slippy Mm. by Underworld, just because of its sheer aggression. It's And the lyric, just beautiful. Now its association with the film Trainspotting also lifted it. But this was a rich time for house music, for dance dance music. I love it, but I'm going to take you back 10 years from there, early 80s actually, and one of my favourite songwriters, Edwin Collins, and a band that I see as foundational to that C86, to the Smiths, to Early Roses, Orange Juice, and the song's called Rip It Up. And I remember saving up my dinner money, having a, a little bit less on each lunch, to then walk up to the Hinkley Sound Centre to buy a copy of this. And you got a free cassette of an EP at the same time. And they didn't have it, but they gave me some... I can't remember who they gave me. I want to say it was a Diana Ross cassette instead, which I gave to me nan, because my nan liked Diana Ross. 
but rip it up, orange juice, utter beautiful perfection. Both of those songs are really layered, actually, in very, very different ways. But Edwin Collins, lyrically, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And the way the song is produced and mastered, it's genius. And they're my favourite Scottish band of the time, probably of all time, actually. Absolutely love what they did. And obviously very ill later on in his career. And I just wonder, if he hadn't been, if they'd stayed together... I wonder what would have happened. It's a beautiful song and it's and it's on mine and Nicola's regular rotation. It's a cracker. And again, we were talking previously about voices that you love. And his voice is just so smooth and drippy, isn't it? It's just, it's like, a, I don't know, mug of hot chocolate. It's glorious. <laughs> it's glorious. <laughs> so next up for me, again, we talked about genre-defining albums genre defining bands and these guys came onto the scene again early to mid 90s was something that i feel nobody else had ever really heard before and this again is not necessarily the biggest hit from the album or the most popular one but it's my most played off that album and it is inspection by left field Come again, come again, come again. 
that was one of those CDs that I had that I bought three times because I lent it to someone and they nicked it. And then I went and got it and stupidly lent it to someone else and they nicked it. So I remember at the time buying that album for the third time thinking, right, no buggers getting hold of this again. (laughs) Also, in that time at uni, I had, it still guts me a little bit that I let it go, but I had this beautiful chrome Wharfdale system. Oh, lovely. It was lovely. It was absolutely gorgeous. And it had a six CD changer in it, right? So it was internal. It didn't have a cassette. It was internal. And you loaded the CDs in and then it sort of found a place for them inside. And there was probably two CDs over the course of, what, three or four years at uni that never came out. And after being replaced a couple of times, Leftfield was one of those. I just listened to that album over and over and over again. The other one that doesn't feature in my list is Moon Safari by Air. Those two albums, again, so much of that time of, hey, this is different, guys. This is a type of music or a genre of music that we didn't have before. Yeah, okay, you can argue for your Giorgio Moroders and your Craftworks and all those sorts of people, but certainly not something that had been brought to the super mainstream like those guys. I I agree. I mean, there's a relationship between Moroder and Leffield and and one or two more albums in that era, but... They're distant relatives. But I would say that with Leftfield, Fatboy Slim, Prodigy, Faithless, Chemical Brothers, that sort of squad of electronic dance music, yeah. as it's now termed, those guys created something that didn't really exist before. Yes, they did it through sampling. Yes, they did it through creating their own stuff. But, you know, some of the music that that squad of bands and people created is some of my favourite. I agree. Faithless, utterly brilliant. So I'm going to... God, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on an 80s thing. You were right. I am in the... I'm older than you, though, right? <laughs> so um, this is a, a singer called Stephen Duffy, but he was known as Tintin at the time. I guess he had a quiff. This is from 1983. Now, Stephen Tintin Duffy was, at one point, the lead singer of Duran Duran before they found someone arguably more handsome and talented and had his own songs. But I really like this song. It's called Kiss Me. It was remixed in 85 and was nowhere near as good. And I wonder what would have happened had he have carried on. This song I love. If I ever want to just my sing in the car song and it takes me back to that era. I would have been 15, 1983. It takes me back to that era.
I love it. And it's clumsy because the technology was clumsy. It's sampled. It's messy. It sounds naive. You could make something much better on your iPhone now. Casio in your bedroom. Casio in your bedroom. Vibes. I love all that pre-programmable Casio. <laughs> but I absolutely love it. And it, it gets played way more than it should. And, well, no, it gets played as much yes, as it, it should. should yeah, I love yeah. it. And it's got that 80s synth pop sound to it, which is very listenable. It is. It is. Right. We are getting towards the end, which is a good thing, but also a sad thing. Next up for me is a band that I have seen live a lot. I'm happy to say that I've got some tickets booked to go and see them again. They're about to do their last ever UK tour. And this album is very close to my heart because the band's Groove Armada and this album that this song is from came out around the time I first met my now wife. So we went on holiday together and this song got, this album rather, a couple of different songs off it, but this album got a lot of play when we were on holiday for the first time and subsequently have been to lots of Groove Armada concerts with her and this is one of many Groove Armada songs that always makes me think of her. concerts they often disappear nicely off down different musical avenues and you're standing there just into the music and having a great time and the way that they often bring it back is that trumpet or trombone I think it actually is solo and when that drops in everyone knows exactly what's coming and normally the place wherever you happen to be goes completely mental and then they bounce into super styling. That's a great link between two feelings yeah exactly. I, I, I love it and it is it's a clarion call that trombone it's a clarion call yeah great tune pete and again you actually you're spot on there because their music is a lot like that it often starts out relaxed and dreamy and then moves you up onto the dance floor and into you know full-on party mode <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah totally right okay so my penultimate one is, again, another one I go to when I'm feeling sad. And it's Billie Holiday, and her life was beautifully tragic. And she has got that voice that takes me back. And and during the mid-'80s, early-'80s, 
there was a, a real resurgence in blues in certain parts. I remember going to a club, a, a pub, a club, a pub. Um, actually, it would have been later than that. It would have been about 86 in Leicester called the Helsinki. And they played a lot of blues, a lot of Billy, a lot of Frank, an awful lot of Nina. But this particular song, Lover Man by Billy Holiday, I just love singing it. And I love it. I've got a lot of sadness in this list. I love its sadness. But I'm feeling so sad I long to try something I've never had Never had no kissing Oh, what I've been missing Love a man, oh, where can you be? The night is cold and I'm so all alone I'd give my soul just to call you my own Got a moon above me but no one to love me Love a man, oh where can you be? And it's such a, it's a song, it's a pursuit, it's, it's a hunt for love. And it's a song of, it feels almost remorseful for wasted time or opportunity. There's such a deep, resonant feeling to this song. And I love it. And if I ever just, you know, I'm driving or sat at home and I'm feeling that way, that's the song that I start singing. I've played it shitloads. We were talking before about the power of music to transport you to different places or another place. And as you were saying, that you put that on maybe when you're feeling a bit sad, a bit melancholy, whatever it might be. But you listen to that and you're instantly in smoky jazz club. Again, it's very, it's, it's beautifully simple in the right way. Yeah. And, you know, there's a reason that people listen to her music so much and it's pretty much solely to do with how beautiful her voice is it's amazing and the reason i chose the live version is for that exact feeling of that smoky late at night jazz club it's a song that takes me to an era that i didn't live through and that's magical yeah and that's in a funny way a nice circle isn't it because that's exactly what the first song i played is like for me yeah again it's that that beautifulness of those 60s soul voices right my final one is my most recent song but it's one that i know i have played a lot and i play it over and over again and it is relaxed house it's about chills it's about sunsets it's just a, a beautifully relaxed song and it's so good to me by chris malinchak
There you go. Every sky would be blue. Not heard that before. That is a great yeah, tune. It's obviously, because it's me, I've picked the extended mix because we like a long song. <laughs> <laughs> There's almost a gospel feel to the beginning of that. If we're playing the genre game, it is Balearic House. Is that right? Yes. I love it. It's beach bars and you're in that zone. You haven't gone out yet. But you're proud. But you're up for it. You're proud. And it, exactly. It's there. You can see it in the distance. I do a Qigong move that's all about that. Yeah. That it's all about, you're not quite dancing, but you're, you're thinking about dancing. I know that move because I've done that move You've with that. you. So my last one is also my most recent song, actually, and it's by Fantastic Negrito. And it's an amazing album. Such a good album. And it's I'm So Happy I Cry. I mean, I've had a few sad songs on here. I wanted to end with something that is joyous. Today, today I feel alive. Lord, I'm so happy I cry. It's a great clarion call for a cracking day. I love it. I really love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that too, actually. As as you just said, that album is fantastic. And that song and the album itself, but also that song's got that beautiful mixture of old and new. Mm. You know, it sounds, again, it's gospel-y. It's got, gospel, it's got yeah. a choir in the background. I've very rarely heard a bad song with a choir in the background. Love a bit of choir action. Uh, and that one is, is yeah, no different. That's an absolute belter, that song. I love doing this, Pete. I love I loved the fact that we aimed for 10 and both got to 13. And one of them overlaps, so the playlist is now 25. So I ended up starting it and finishing it because of the way that all worked. Yeah, that's um, fine. I did, there's no point playing um, Fool's Girl twice. But yes, as we have both said, these chats are enormously enjoyable where we just get to play music we love. I love it. And thank you. And thank you. And thank me for doing this. And there will be another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had a thought for what the next one should be. It will come back to me, but we'll go for another one. I've got a thought. And it's actually something I've stolen from my good friend, Charlie Gladstone. And it's cover versions that were better than the original. Yeah, I'm all over that. I think we should do it. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that will probably be easier to find 10 each because it's quite, you know, it's a, it's a harder thing to yeah, find. Yeah, it's a harder thing to find because there's a smaller number of them. But I have actually done a hot 10 on that before. So oh, you're ahead. I'm on it. Whereas I'm just straight into the caravan of love by the house minds. <laughs> Lovely. Thanks, Pete. My pleasure. <laughs>